went out to water the flowers in the evening and I was absolutely at my wit's end because I had already proven to myself I didn't have the answer to fix me and the doctors didn't and my only hope was God. For 2,000 years, Christ has been extending His kingdom through ordinary, faithful people. Their blood, sweat, and tears are the seeds of the global church. The gospel is spreading across the world, saving sinners, renewing nations, and changing everything. But today, many in the modern church are weak, torn, comfortable. The book of Hebrews says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses watching us from heaven, spurring us on. The stories of these faithful Christ followers who've gone before us are what we need to wake up and return to our first love for Christ's mission. Let's learn from them. On this week's episode of Cloud of Witnesses, we hear about the life and ministry of Rosie Stoner, who served alongside her late husband, Bill, for 39 years as missionaries with ABWE. Hello, I'm Rosalind Stoner. My husband, Bill, and I were privileged to serve for a number of years overseas. We don't often mention the year of language study, which put us for a year in Costa Rica. From there, we went down to Chile, South America, a two-week trip by ship, which was horrid because it was wintertime and it was stormy and Bill and I were laid out flat and the kids did what they wanted to do on for two weeks. So went down to Chile, two terms. My husband was mainly there in evangelism and church planting. Uh, we were asked to move on to the Bible Institute property, which led us into teaching classes there, Bill and I in the music area. We arrived in Chile with a new baby, six weeks old, and then left with another child. So when we were on our first term, we added two children. While serving two terms in Chile, Bill and Rosie were active in evangelistic crusades with ABWE teammates all over the country with great effectiveness. Bill served as field council treasurer and director of the Evening Bible School in Santiago. We had a big evangelistic event in Chile on the very last weeks of our stay there. It was a grand thing. All the missionaries were involved in it. We used to drive by this fair, which every year it was a big, big international fair ground. And Bill got the idea of, I wonder if we could set up a booth of some kind in that thing. So as it turned out, long story short, all of the permissions came in. We found favor in the eyes of the guy who, who distributed areas to set up whatever we had to set up. And uh, it was a grand affair, big tent, 
we were showing moody science films translated into Spanish. And also the guys built a kind of a lighthouse with a revolving light to draw attention to the people and an open place where we stood behind there and we we had Bibles and that kind of thing to offer to the people. And there was a great result at the end of that time of very interested people being introduced to the gospel for the first time. So that's how we left Chile. God most often works in our lives when we reach a point of desperation, when we reach a point when we realize that we have no other hope but Christ, that we need him. We're lost without him. And it's precisely at that point of despair, when we surrender all to him and learn to lean on him, that we see him at work. When I think about God's work in my own life, I have had some deep experiences with him. My personality from youth has been enthusiastic, positive. I used to be quite a perfectionist inside, and I had the, the strength of will, I thought, to do whatever I wanted to do. If there was something that needed to be done, I can stay up all night and do it and then allow myself the privilege of going to sleep. So I would say I was pretty much in charge of me. And I always, I knew how I acted and behaved and we were getting along just fine. So we land down in Chile. Inside, I had all the optimism that give us three, four years and we'll have Chile taken care of for the Lord and then we'll go some other place. That was my inward spirit. Okay, so in the Lord's perfect timing, he allowed me to have a, a miscarriage. And out of the blue, I began to experience what I've learned afterwards is quite a typical kind of a depression. But it was severe and it was so not me that I didn't know how to deal with it. There was complete weariness in my body, tiredness. There was confusion in my mind with the children. I was impatient. I just didn't know what was happening. So I went to the doctor for a six week visit. And he said, um, I said, this is what I'm going through. Do you have some kind of medicine or something to help me? Sure. He wrote off a prescription of something or other. And I took one of those pills and absolutely fell apart. It was like inside my body, I was shaking. So I got rid of the pills and went out to water the flowers in the evening. <clears throat> and I was absolutely at my wit's end because I had already proven to myself I didn't have the answer to fix me 
and the doctors didn't. And my only hope was God. And the verse that came to me was, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. And I said, I'm here at the end of the world serving you. If you don't help me, I'm just going to be lost. I'm, I was, I think, very close to losing it in some way, maybe a nervous breakdown or something. But I was, I felt I was at the end of my tether. And the Lord answered in a way that he's never done since, never did before. As I stood there in the backyard, I felt as if from the top of my head, through my body, calming like oil. And I stood still. And I thought, oh, I don't dare move. I don't dare move for fear this will go away. And, <clears throat> and yet I did move. Like I was walking on eggshells for fear I would lose whatever this wonderful calm was. Got inside, kids to bed, slept got up in the morning to fix breakfast for the kids. And once again, the familiar impatience with their kiddiness came up. And I ran out of the kitchen, down the hall, got down by my bed. And I said, oh, Lord, you did it for me yesterday. Do it today again. Give me your peace and quietness. And he did. And so that began for me a totally different way of life. The Lord showed me, you know, the arm of the flesh. You may think you're strong, but all he has to do is just take a finger away and let you see some of your helplessness. And you realize we're nothing. And that came at an early time in our ministry, well-timed <laughs> for all the years that were going to come later to remember, it's not me. We can't do anything. It's only God. Important lesson for Rosie Stoner. Changed my whole life. While on furlough, after having served two terms in Chile, God began to stir a new direction in the stoners' hearts, one that they felt they had to question and ask God for clear guidance about. I was astounded when the Lord started getting the message through that maybe we would go to a different country. I didn't feel that God worked that way as far as I was concerned. I was in Chile. God called us there till death do us part. But God had other ideas and convinced us thoroughly 
that he wanted us to go to this country. And the final, a final testing that Bill and I went through on that personally, we said, well, if we hear from someone in headquarters before the end of the month, <clears throat> after we had been approached in different ways already, if we hear before the end of the month, uh, then we'll take it that God is really in this. And the next day we got a letter in the mail. So it, has, it was already in the mail from a missionary in Southern Spain saying it was a Macedonian call. If you have anyone that, that you can send over here, send them, it's the need is dire. So that was uh, our final proof on that. In the year 1970, we had learned right in that furlough time that the ministry in Madrid had made some dramatic changes and allowances for other faiths. Spain had been and was in the end, tail end of a 40-year dictatorship under Franco and Spain was a church-state combined. If you were Spanish, you were Catholic. If you were, you, I mean, the idea of being a Spaniard and not a Catholic at the same time was just, well, one of the kids that we talked, young people that we talked with in our distribution exercises. I said, well, what do you think we are? What, do you, what is a Protestant? A criminal, he answered. So, and the, the police in the area concurred with him. They tried to get us out. That was a funny experience. Not Well, funny, kind of scary. They wanted to kick us out of the country. He said we were infiltrating Spain. This was American politics and that type of thing. And we had perfect liberty to tell and share the gospel story with anyone. We just couldn't coerce them. Well, we were fine with that. But the, the ordinary person out in, in their little villages certainly didn't believe that. And sometimes the police in those areas didn't believe that. They said, no, 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 no. And, and they couldn't believe the paper once they finally waited long enough to read what was said. Those first years were very difficult because uh, it was hard to, to make contact with the people. And when Bill would try to get uh, an announcement, say, in the newspaper saying free Bible correspondence courses, uh, that was always censored by the the censors of the newspaper, which happened to be clerics in the Catholic Church. And so there were difficult years in the beginning, just trying to make contact in that environment. After receiving clear guidance from the Lord to respond to the need for missionaries in Spain, the stoners began to serve in a country that's closed and unresponsive to Protestant Christianity. And with it came challenges in how to reach their neighbors in the community that they lived in. But God provides opportunities. It just 
doesn't always appear the way that we expect it to. Our biggest question was, how can we make contact with these people? And going door to door, just in our neighborhood, did not result in any good thing, except having doors slammed in our face. It made me feel, and I thought to myself, for someone raised like they were, it would be like me opening the door to a Harry Krishna kind of individual, dressed, goofy, and they, want, they would want me to listen. I would slam the door in their faces. So I understood it. And um, we did a lot of praying. So the group that the Lord had around us those first couple of years were Americans with the General Electric Power project they were working on at the time. So they had enough of a group that they provided a school for their kids. And those people allowed our small kids to join their kids in school. They couldn't take care of our two older boys who were junior high age, but the smaller ones came. And then we became friendly with the community and held a Sunday school and one of the couples were believers and they attended that too. In the midst of that, just questioning, how can we reach the Spanish people? And Bill was finding that he couldn't advertise in papers. It was hard. So the Lord sent an American chaplain, a new chaplain to the air base very close by. And this chaplain said, I want, can you folks come down here? I'd like to meet you. I'm beginning a ministry. And he went to the same seminary Bill did. So he felt he could invite Bill and, and see whether Bill might be able to help him get his work going on the air base, which indeed the Lord blessed greatly. There were a team of three couples of us, the chaplain and his wife, Bill and me, and another guy who was very gifted in working with young people. And well, we had like revival. A great group of young people there turned to the Lord. This was in a day and a place where it was a boarding school for American kids from the Middle East and all over as well as just for parents that were at the air base. And um, drugs came in very easily and witchcraft abounded on the air base. These kids would go around in black capes with skulls under their arms and, and yet God got in, lives were changed. We got to thinking, in the eyes of the Lord, an American heart and soul is just as important as a Spanish one. So we continued to try to do what we could with the Spanish people and then serve God in any way that he opened up. Evangelism is proclaiming the unchanging truth of the gospel 
but the way we proclaim that truth looks different from place to place. In order to reach out effectively, we need to understand the communities and the cultures that we're living in and speaking to. We need to learn patience. We need to know that God will bring people into our paths. We just have to be ready to share when he does. Summers, Bill would go with a young Spanish believer to villages and towns off and away from Saragossa. And these villages would have a market day in this town on this day, that town another day. And so for the summer, we put up our tent in the center of some kind of center in one of the towns. And uh, that's where we parked ourselves. But then daily, the men, two missionaries, Bill and another missionary with the two older boys, would go off to these markets and do evangelism that way. And we found we were such a, a new thing in the area that the young people and the villagers around about would come. And when, when it would get dark, they would start filtering down the hill and come and kind of stand around our, our tent, begin asking questions. And Bill and the guys would come from their marketing experience and continue on from about 10 at night till 12, talking and introducing the gospel. And it was quite an experience. And if you want a story, one story that comes to mind for this time, Bill and the young Spanish man who was a believer and living with us for a year or two, they decided to go house to house where we lived. The center of the town is always the big cathedral. And around the cathedral were a string of houses, little houses built together side by side, roof, 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 doorway, doorway. And then what you couldn't see from the roadway was that they would have their little backyard and maybe a couple chickens and what have you. So the, the custom of these elderly people would be to take out a couple of kitchen chairs outside the front door, face the road, and sit there in the sun and talk and listen to other people. So Bill and the friend make their way along this housing route. An elderly gentleman whose name was Max, <clears throat> hears Bill and he motions him over. Come over here. He says, what is it you're saying? And so Bill very quickly talked about the Lord and Jesus being the way of salvation. And he says, come inside. <laughs> so he got Bill inside and he shared a story how he had been at one time a very devout helper in the Catholic Church. And then the Civil War came up. He went off to war and was devastated to see what he saw. And also a positive, a guy from another city handed him a book. And this book was a contraband book 
from France, written by a Catholic priest who had come to know the Lord. And so he gave it to Max to read. And he says, the only, he says, what you're saying is the same thing I read 40 years ago. 40 years ago, I first heard this. And so Bill told him the gospel and his heart was prepared. He said, I bless the day that God sent Bill Stoner to my house. <laughs> He'd waited all that time to get it clarified in his mind. He was a triumphant believer. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ loves to call outcasts, rejects, and those who've been shunned by others to himself. His grace is sufficient in our weakness, no matter how dark the pain of our pasts. Bill and Rosie followed Jesus' instructions. And while in Spain, the stoners reached many who had been involved in drugs and alcohol with their heart to reach the abandoned of society. Towards the end of our time in Spain, uh, the Lord placed us near uh, a group of individuals, young people in Madrid that uh, had problems with drug addiction. Two of these young men came to our small work there, and they, they said they didn't know anyone in their schooling experience that had not been into drugs or that was into drugs. These kids were shooting up their arms. The mothers were just weeping. I don't know what to do. And so the Lord got a hold of a couple of these guys. One of them came to live with us. And after he left, there were others that came and lived with us. So when we felt our time in Spain was coming to a, a close, one of the thoughts that we had was maybe the Lord would have us continue that some kind of ministry with young people who are suffering from addictions. Uh, and when we came back, Bill again, he ministered in the prisons in Spain. And nine tenths of the people there were there for drug problems. It was just that enormous and widespread. So we came home thinking maybe the Lord will have us involved in something like that now back in the States. <clears throat> when he started going to the prisons again, that didn't seem to be the big issue. The big issue was uh, he began with Bible studies in the prisons Men came to profess faith in Christ. There was quite a, a group of them. I remember they had, they got some kind of, a, it was a horse trough to baptize them. <laughs> and that was a, a joy. So a number of them got baptized, but Bill became more and more aware of the need for healthy, clean, helpful Christian 
places where these guys could go when they, most of them would just go back to their home area, mixed with the same kind of person and get right back into drugs again. So we had, the, we had asked the Lord for a large house so we could be able to attend others and uh, fixed up our basement that way. So we were able to invite. We found, <clears throat> we found the younger men less faithful in following through with their commitments. Uh, like so often happens when they're off from drugs, they get thinking, I'm perfectly fine. And then they go right back into it. The younger men didn't enjoy having to be responsible to Bill as a leader in the home. <sighs> and so there was those tensions. And it was the older men in their 50s that had lived enough that they finally decided we just, you know, I have to mean business here. And so we experienced their joys and finding work and continuing on in the Lord. One guy got married and moved away, but still kept contact with us until he died. Uh, lots of experiences that way. And we were just dwindling down to the last person staying with us. And I can't remember what it was now, but whatever was being planned was not gonna, I think we were expecting someone else to come and that fell through. And that's when we got the invitation to run the guest house in Hungary. And we thought, well, the Lord has dried up this funnel of ministry, so off we go. It was, it was a wonderful year because it's a different kind of responsibility. It was a responsibility that uh, wasn't stressful. So at that time in our lives, it was great. And whenever there weren't guests in the home, we were free to do and to go. And so Hungary is kind of like the central part. All the missionaries would fly in. And from there, they would go to Czechoslovakia and Romania and other countries around. So we were able to, to drive around and, <clears throat> and see a lot and be impacted by especially in Romania, the orphanages that were there after Ceausescu set up his regime. Terrible cases of, of neglect and uh, <clears throat> some orphanages that were set up. One group I was so inspired by, young people would dedicate a year of their lives from Northern Europe to come down and 
love these kids and handle, deal with them, help them in the orphanages. That was a lovely thing. But what got our heart even more than that <clears throat> was to see the teenagers in these big institutions, barren of furniture, boys and girls together, and just hopeless for their future, hopeless. And the only, when they would be pushed out at age 18, I think it is, it's just a life of prostitution and drugs. And so Bill and I thought our kids have had us around all their lives. These kids have had no one. We'll just stay here and minister to these kids. We got language books and started working on Romanian, fully intending that we would gather our things together and, and have that ministry. And then, and then that came to a close because Bill's mother started having strokes and we were the indicated ones to, to help her. So we had all kinds of desires and plans and the Lord says, no, go home and take care of the mom, which we were delighted to do. When we asked Rosie how God had used her in all of these various ministries, she had this to say. I think God has used us, me, in the home. With all the people that have come in, that's kind of my thing. I think not everyone is able to have other families live with them. So I feel God has especially prepared me for that. Uh, I have, I had a sister who was a pastor's wife and it was misery for her to think of entertaining a group from the church. For me, it's nothing. Uh, so with the Lord's preparation in my life, uh, we have maintained an open door. Anyone that needs a place to stay can stay with us. And with great joy, uh, we have gone through our years that way. We've, I'm sure, affected many young people's lives. We had young Air Force men living with us for periods of time who have been greatly impacted by the gospel and to see that, you know, we're just ordinary people. We love fun. We have good times. We're very serious about eternity. My take over the years on ministry could be summed up with a firm belief that God is much more interested in developing me into the kind of person he wants me to be than anything I might do for him. And I say that because that's the way he has worked in my life. So as a dedicated missionary wanting to serve God, he took me 
with all of the background I had and all of the background I didn't have and saw what was most needful. Well, the Lord blessed Bill and Rosie with five children, all of whom are committed followers of Christ today. Their son David went on to serve as a missionary in Spain with ABWE. The lasting legacy Bill and Rosie left behind is one of faithfully serving where the Lord guided, no matter where it was, whether in Chile, Spain, Grand Rapids, or Budapest, and ministering among the broken and the dejected for the glory of God. Cloud of Witnesses is a production of ABWE. I'm your host, Alex Kochman. Our production director is Grant Boring. Our researcher and interviewer is Jay York. Production support is provided by Tito Estevez. Additional voiceovers by Jason Younger. Get equipped to make disciples and learn more about how you can reach the nations at abwe.org. Cloud of Witnesses is a production of ABWE. ABWE is a global family of ministries reaching more than 80 countries by sharing Christ, planting churches, and training Christian leaders. After nearly 100 years, ABWE is continuing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You can help us advance the kingdom for the next 100 years and beyond by supporting the mission through the Global Gospel Fund. Learn more at abwe.org forward slash cloud.